Miss Mackintosh, my darling, chapter 50. Everything seemed off-key and out of course. How often Mr. Spitzer had lamented as the wind whirred around his cape, this universe tacking like the wild white snowbird away from central fires of jewels gleaming through clouds and relationships which were never to be found. Never to be found by the snowbird, or if found were never to be proved and codified and made certain as a map to the traveler who was yet to come. For they were forever shifting, varying in that wind which came from no known source, sleeping upon the wing or drifting like a slow curve of zodiacs, where the snowflakes whirled big as cartwheels through which the moon shone or drifting like the long looping sail of the boat, which was never anchored in unanchored earth. And if he would orient himself as he approached the final chaos of oblivion, whereas it approached him upon silent footsteps moving through the fogs and cloud lines like the surf upon some other star. He must find his way by present disorientations through vanished multiplicities of mirrors, which had never lost their image as they drifted through the fog, and vanished moons in all their phases from nymph to full moon, and phases between their phases like the moons where no moons were, and phases never noticed before, and never quite asserting themselves in locked moons with tangled horns and vanished stars, who had followed an old bellwether to his grave in this abyss of tinsel stars and those which were the trembling mirages, piling up like mountainous waves in the sea, or like snow-crowned pinnacles under low clouds, or like castles upon the rocks with their light pricking through clouds, castles disappearing when the clouds disappeared. It seemed to Mr. Spitzer with all images doubling before his eyes, so that when he entered clouded rooms, one room so like the other, that they might all be always the same room, with only those discrepancies which might be noted. Perhaps the fact that he was not himself that he had changed imperceptibly from point to point, perhaps the fact that he had not changed and was ever the same man, the same in his end as in his beginning, perhaps that a candle flame had gone out or had been lighted in his absence, perhaps that there was a rose withering in a vase where there had been no rose before or a chair out of place, or one door more than there had ever been, or prisms breaking mirrors which should have looked upon eternity if they had not looked on time. He was often lost when he saw two golden chairs in the cloud snow in which chair to sit, for one chair might be only the dream, and one might be real, and one might collapse if, lie, if he touched it. One might suddenly fly away with many tinkling bells. One might disappear like the water carrier, or Cassiopeia's golden chair, or the crib, or the virgin, or the hair of Bernice in the clouds at dawn. One might be only the shadowed part of life. He dared not touch upon the strings of the constellation Lear, for fear he might touch only upon the imaginary strings might be only the imaginary bird caught among the strings and causing these musical drops, splashings, whirlpools extending to a far horizon. Oh, could God be so cruel, unkind, thoughtless, forgetful as to make a man a lyre without strings, a trumpet without a throat, a piano without a keyboard, or dice without markings? Or was there only the dream, and had nothing ever been real? Was there a doctor without patience, one so ultimately successful, or such a great failure, that he had no patience, not even himself. And could there be a lawyer without a brief, a dog without a bark? How careful of nature this fat man was, lightly stepping, seeming to himself sometimes entirely made of waters and clouds, things which had not yet taken shape or form, or which had already dissolved like snowflakes on a summer's day streaked with fire. He knew he might dissolve into mists and clouds, should a demonic butterfly appear in the midst of the furnace fire when he was gone. Should there be a sign of him who had made no sign when he was alive? His breath was his spirit, and softly he breathed, never with rasping, and softly he sighed, whispered. He was frightened by loud noises. 
He was frightened of causing disturbances. What if his breath should start an avalanche or a waterfall? One might not be, and he had gained much amorphous flesh clouded like the atmosphere. He must pause for a moment before each door before he knocked. Be sure it did not open on the void. Be sure that he was himself and not the hallucination. Was this a man continually checking, rechecking, altering his impressions which altered of themselves, making little notes to mark his journeys back and forth and his many experiments, because he took so much for granted? It might seem that he took nothing for granted. Because of great faith in this which was his afterlife, his life after death, this which he was living now, for whom had he lived before his death? It might seem that he had little faith, that he lived but for a moment when there might be a sudden sporadic glitter in the fog, or that he lived by that dream which might be this extension beyond his death, dream dreamed by another dreamer. Caution was thus his only musical note. None so wild as he who was smiling when he sighed, who loved when he loved not, when he was incapable of love or commitment to any human form, his wildness exceeding his caution perhaps by only one shade, his marble-colored eyes staring at the faces of the dead. Perhaps among dreamers he was the one person who dreamed not, the one person who knew the void of reality that is given without dreams or substances or material confirmations, or roads or bridges between the islands of consciousness rising through the floods of unconsciousness, was one who had never lived by dreams himself, and so must live by the dreams of others, die by the dreams of others. So all dreamers and all dreams were secondary to him, much like associations starting associations far, far away as in some other sphere. From whom had he learned? might be assumed naturally since he spent most time with her, since seldom did he miss a visit punctually by his broken watch, by the shadow on a moon dial in a flooded garden, that he had learned most from the beautiful opium lady wearing her tower of hats as she chattered madly to him, who was seated in a golden chair which creaked among the shadows where the whirlpools formed, chattering perhaps to him when he had already gone, when never again would he leave his calling card where the calling cards were piled up as if he had come many times when he had not come, as if he had come with the sails of schooners which had rounded the golden horn to reach her bedside, as if he had come with the octagons and the orbs of vanished moons. But it was not from her that he had learned that this sensorium fails, not from any calendar she kept that he had learned the date of his death when blackbirds whistled in a distant road, or night suddenly descended like his cape blowing before his eyes, or she saw the human-sized blackbird at the door and said, Oh, come in, blackbird, come in, blackamoor. Dear, 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 oh, my dear, my dear, my dearest love. To her he might always return, body and soul and spirit crying in the wind, for she waited for him, as for his dead self whom she had loved or thought she loved, and she had always lived by such indirections and evasions that she would never know when he was gone or that she had entertained. Among her evening guests, this living man, whose heart perhaps had failed or still might fail, if it failed he surely would come tomorrow evenings before with singing flames and whirling pools and constellations and fireflies his heart trembling in his cheek, for his was this migratory heart. Had he not already shown in ways to her satisfaction of not to convince himself? Or after this life was over, he might meet her on some other star, perhaps the first way station after this, perhaps before one changed for that great central station where all loves and all stars would be one, one star forever reaching. Thus Mr. Spitzer seemed to agree that when life was over, it would begin for him, perhaps upon that star where the living love was united with the dead love, and where there were no opposites, no differences, no differentiations. For why admit that nothing more could happen, that he could do nothing, that there was no way station beyond this station, and no other star but this which was fugitive and all but unrealized and unrealizable? 
so often blotted out by the heavy rollings of fogs and the change in the winds. That he was the star derailed like some old train in the grass with the long grass growing up over his eyes, perhaps no rails and perhaps no wheels and no passengers, no engine, no spark. He was the nowhere train going nowhere as he heard a distant whistle. He had seen how one may be two, or one may be many, many even in his dying, but what he feared most was doubtless not that one should be two. He feared that one should be one, both the dream and the reality, that one should not outlive the other, that they should be so involved that there was no division and no other road and no distance and no abyss of stars roaring between them or passing in one long blur like station lights. And thus one died as one, died with his unuttered thoughts and his unrealized loves and his unfinished business. His hope without foundation stone died wholly who had lived partially, who had lived not as the star but as the day's firefly lost in the sunlight streaked with the dead iris. No, not from the invalid lady flourishing on the enchantment of nightshade had he learned most as it might seem, for she had lived so totally by imagination that she had made nights of all her days, but never had made days of her days, and never had asked for proofs, which could not be given by him or her, had lived by disassociations and mistakes of senses, and sunken impressions, and imaginary dawns streaking the coxcomb clouds, had heard a golden rooster crowing whenever a key turned in a rusted lock, or clocks ding-dong the distant hours, or bees sang bright hosannas in the winter air, darkening with clouds of blue gentians, <coughs> at many levels, although her dawn, might be only the tail feathers of a day already gone, or might be only a sequin shining in a darkened mirror, or his dead eye which stared at her, had kept no chart of time's dimensions, or of the shadow growing on her cheek, had no known age or death, and had failed to distinguish between life and death, or had taken one as the aspect of the other, had taken this life as death, and death as life, or had slept from death to death, had slept through silent whirlpools and storms tearing the heavens apart from pole to pole, or breaking mirrors into these pale fragments of themselves polarized like the dead stars, ground to an almost illimitable dust. And who could ever have foreseen that he might outlive her who mourned for him, might live to mourn for her as for himself, most especially as it seemed that she had outlived him and his image upon another shore? And if this image died upon this shore, then would not the other also die, perhaps only a moment later, so that only within the frame of this mortality could he know immortality, or one more dubious moment, he not outliving himself, although she might dream otherwise and make her plans to meet him on some other shore, and although he might even encourage her hallucinations and seem to give to them the semblance of the body. Perhaps he did so in ways he did not intend. It was not all a matter of his will and consciousness, for he was contained by his skin, his many-colored skin patched with the silver and gold of dying light. Beyond himself he would not live. His brother, too, would not live. And what of all of their images— the lighthouse dolphin flashed its dying colors upon the rocks, and the clouds in that trembling sunset never to be followed by the dawn, the slow wash of waves, phantasmal mountain peaks like sails of argosies going down, the ripples dying into distances, and even the moon like the paper nautilus, and the sun and the stars, all things passed as Mr. Spitzer passed with his sign, sobbing, all passing with him who was already of the silence. Could yesterday be restored? And who had ever known it in its entirety? The whispers lost under the silence, the voices not noticed then. Whatever he might feel, he must feel now. And whatever he might see, must see now, with his conch ears each hearing a different music. A mote which struck upon him as if one mote of the sun should endure through the heart of night or shine through moonlight. Must hear the musical landscape, 
must hear the musical landscape unfolding into hills and valleys and moving pinnacles crowned with snow with his eye, dead eye, bright eye, answer, sob, reproach, come with his muted sigh and his stopped heart, for life had its end. How well he knew. Knew who had perhaps already passed its end and who lived but for that moment in which he recognizes this unequivocal truth, that he should be no more on either shore. There was no harbor, bay, inlet, which should not be touched upon by his this death. None which should be secure, no stream of swift current or slow, no watershed, no waterfall flashing through clouds, falling from cloud to cloud like a stairway, not even a brook with thinning pebbles which clashed like cymbals in the thin music of water, worn thin by attrition, no hole where a starfish slept or butterfly was sequestered like this morning cloak. Not even the bed of a dried-up stream from which this music of water departed, showing the bare bones, although the pebbles clashed and rolled as if with the memory of water. There was no other star. There was no garden where the white peacock screamed in a snowstorm on any other star than this, so far as Mr. Spitzer knew. All senses failed, one by one, if not suddenly, if not at one blow. Would he not fail, slumber, never awaken, sleep the last sleep, the last death possible to him, or perhaps the first? Perhaps the first was the last. He knew now, with his eyelids shadowy, his cheeks and his eyelashes streaking the clouds like the, these thin rays of gold, which came from the light no doubt shining within. There was only this moment, heavily weighted with his dead self, that old cargo which had been too great for the boat, leaking boat, the water flowing through all its portholes. There was no twin star to this, moment for moment, leaf falling for leaf falling, sand grain for sand grain blowing in the wind, balance for balance, number for number. Shining for shining, shadow for shadow, ebbing of tide for ebbing of tide, or star where the ebbing of the tide to the thinnest trickle of foam should be the rising of this tide, or star where this tide ebbing should be followed by the tide rising. There were one and yet were never known, being as mysterious as if they were the many. One might think that the star had never been organic with its threads wrapped round the spindle which shuttled among the singing strings and wove this garment which was itself, and the star like the long-haired Medusa under the water and the bird, Petals of the rose, the arcades of the roofless porch, the crumbling columns, the wind among the leaves, the doors opening, the doors closing. A door of truth which was covered with a golden disk was never opened by man. Perhaps it was never opened by woman or bird. Perhaps it was the keyhole star, and no eye stared on either side, and no key had ever turned. Surely there were lagoons never visited by man. Surely there were no two stars shadowed alike by the ambient surrey top with its fringes drifting in the blue midnight air. Perhaps the poles themselves had flown, and he only dreamed this polar night, where all things were kept, only dreamed returning stars. To him, indeed, if not to my mother sleeping upon her lace pillow, this life was the only one, fugitive and unrealized, scarcely understood before it was gone, a glitter only in memory, a light already extinguished, and thus his caution increased with the years, just as many assumptions once taken for certain become uncertain. Many premises had been abandoned, and many changes prepared for greater changes. For by many small changes he saw that what greater change would be, and many confusions prepared for greater confusions. And he knew that even the longest life, the life of a star noted for its longevity, or an empire enduring a thousand years, was brief as a snowflake melting in the burning air. And even a polar night must have its end when fireflies slumber like the swarming stars, never to be picked out of the astronomer, astronomer's cloud of glass. Stars never to be seen by the blind astronomer when he turned his dreaming telescope toward the empty heavens. Perhaps he confused the star with a firefly planetoid shifting, glittering, never to be seen in those heavens opening like a lidless box, 
never to be seen like a pilot light gleaming upon the undiscovered shores of waters and clouds, and not even on Mr. Spitzer's clouded shirt front. Never to be recorded on any map at some far borderline where reality should cease. For a flying sand grain might grow to be a star, even as had that sand grain which flew into Mr. Spitzer's eye and begot this pearl with a light burning within. Yet this life was brief, especially when viewed in retrospect. It was a moment's fading luminosity. Mr. Spitzer had lived long enough to know now as he approached his end, his end which perhaps transpired at the beginning, as he always would lament, his voice so small that it was lost in the wind, the amplifying wind, to know this fact so awesome that it almost stopped his breath, that it almost strangled him or caused his heart to gong and his chalk-white face to flush with the rose of his blood, like the rose upon the veined clouds or on the water spotted with the moon's dying gold, his eye to burn, to know that all that happened happened only once, perhaps not even once as the waters rushed at his feet, to know that the long voyage was over before it began, or that he had voyaged by standing still, for there was neither starboard nor larboard, with pathos, power, and beauty this gave to fleeting life, life never returning to its origin, life which gonged its own dirges like the wind blowing through his shroud or lifting folded wings, life which had been like discord in a silent room, like silent thunder, like seagulls playing grand pianos in a silent flood, to know that never twice, perhaps not even once, could one pass the barrier reefs of heaven, passing through clouds and channels of overhanging rocks to these thinning shoals, where burned these false signal lights luring him out of his depths. To know that there was nothing twice the same, that the door closing was not the door opening, that the door opening was not the door closing, or that the door opening once was not the door opening again, that the way up was not the way down, the great clouds reassembled not themselves, and great mountains dissolved like the smallest clouds spilling their uncertain fountains of rain. And many pages of the book of life had been transparent, Perhaps he had drifted far beyond the margin and was lost in sheeted clouds. He was like some old ship reeling the wind without masts or sails or rudder, following the eye of the wind which was itself like one far light upon the water. Perhaps he was not of this margin, canon, text. Perhaps he was the apocryphal firefly shining far beyond the edge of this world and its shadow. The firefly seeming the star, the indicator of the star where no star was, the shoreline where was no shoreline beyond this light or darkness edged by moving sand and foam, or else every step took him to another shoreline. Were there not places which were neither of the water nor of the land, neither of the landlocked water nor of the waterlocked land, neither one nor the other, places which could not be defined? Were there not places so ambiguous that they shared the characteristics of both? Surely many an old sailor ploughing the waves with his white sail had been engulfed, and many an old farmer voyaging upon the star-flowering meadows which seemed to churn as if with foam or old, skull-faced Surrey driver tacking with his lean-boned horse in the tacking wind had gone down. Being suddenly swallowed up by that earth which swallows the horse and the rider in the carriage and blackened carriage lamp, no light burning to starboard, larboard, many an old mariner chartlessly drifting over the body of a sleeping wife, over her hills of snows and valleys of shadow and snow-crowned pinnacles and still lagoons, lost like the white emmet of the snowstorm, in the snowstorm, aimlessly drifting like the butterfly over sand or over mirrors of illusion had gone down, even like the child who seeks his mother and finds her, finds her in a sudden avalanche of moon and sun and stars, he finds her where all are lost. Many a man had disappeared, as Mr. Spitzer knew. As for himself, he was merely the dream of the dream, or the reflection of the reflection, as were the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, 
sand like a thin shell laid over the water in which a flame burned under a sky like translucent dragonfly wings through which the light shone the turreted seashell and the seashell smooth as the egg of the bird the seashell thin as paper worn thin by waters and sands and winds abrasions the sheeted jellyfish over which the star moved the sail upon the sand and the white wing of the bird in the white fog and its fluted pinions like starways to heaven and its burning eyes bird wound around by the shell of the fog bird unborn bird never to break through the shell of night and he was nothing of himself when these reflections passed and there would be no image of him in a spurious creation where the waves rolled to thin filaments and stars faded upon a chalk-white shore who should remember his shadow billowing or diminishing or the gold and silver lights pricking through him or burning like candle flames or burning in his eyes or the casket of his lighthouse sleeping on his finger when he was gone the writings on his cloak the writings of mutes for the ears of the dead its hemline of silver or gold wandering upon the surf and the sand but never of one world he was not the book of life not even the book of death with the mother of pearl bindings like the wings of mollusks worn so thin that none should know where consciousness slept as water flowed into water both to write and to efface the messages from the living to the dead or the dead to the living or the living to the living it was but a moment's passage it was a handkerchief dropped from the hand of god a shimmering web or net or sign a winged island mooring upon the flood a light upon the finger of god a light upon the water a light going out a shadow increasing it was not the holy writ but was the mere fly leaf stuck between two passages or testaments the old and the new it was stuck between the patriarch and the cloud or water bird between the opening and the closing it was like a film laid over every eye and a web laid over every face a mere whisper, a sob where was no word, was struck, was stuck between the millstone above him and the millstone below him. It was like the feathered millet seed drifting between the zine, the stone trembling over him, and the nadir stone trembling under him, where these thin waters flowed, was ground to this fine dust, was almost parchmentized, was almost pulverized, was caught between the, p the penumbra and the penumbra, between the snow and the rose, the light the light, darkness and darkness, star and star, world and world. A sheet so thin that illuminations of silver and gold shone through him like candle flames at the sea's edge, casting their elongated shadows or fire medusas as big as cartwheels, bringing almost upon the surface of the water, which was this minor firmament, or like the stars pricking through the clouds, the language of the stars passing like the eyes of birds. Through lights of silver and gold, the nesting stars, the stars over the stars, the stars under the stars. The dolphin sleeping on the papery rock as it cast its rainbow upon the cloud. The long-maned horse with its flying mane through which the stars shone, its hooves which gave off sparks, cups of silver and cups of gold and prisms and spots of gold and rainbows streaking these dead eyes. The shrouded rider through whom the firefly shone like the lighthouse beyond this world or the light of the fisherman's boat, like the star upon the waves or fleets of nautiluses turning their sails, and yet there would be no writing when he was held like the obliterating light against the obliterating light light without shadow no minaret which had written him spiral after spiral and chamber after chamber and song after song and wave after wave as he had written no minaret no vehicle of lonely music no word sign mark image in the silent flood and there would be no star of this world a memory of him none to mark his passage no rose mouth door flagstone peacock in his garden tower dome stairway no watermark no signature no name and not even his little lamplight or firefly shining through the mother-of-pearl dusk. 
There would be not even the moth small as a fingernail which had moored upon the margins of the book and had not moved when the pages turned enormous as sails of windmills casting lights and shadows. So the firefly was his key of gold, his clasp upon his mantle, the light upon the sand. His little firefly was the light he read by. His little firefly was the soul of the dead. Perhaps his little firefly was all there was. Had he not always said so, even when thousands of lights pricked through him and his heart roared and he heard ten thousand doors opening, closing, slamming in the wind? So he was cautious beyond necessity, knowing that he had already passed like the shadows trembling over the sand, the cloud as fine-grained as the sand blowing in his eyes, his many eyes, and he advanced but uncertainly, step by step. He walked like that murmurous tide which, as it is coming in, is also somewhat uncertainly going out turning upon itself, being of many invisible movements and many which were inaudible, subsiding in order to rise, rising, trembling to fall in long cascades with its long fringed shadows or lights of dying gold, advancing to retreat, there being a movement of retreat within each movement of progress, a counter-movement accompanying every movement, a movement of uncertainty, of hesitation, of retardation that would be clocked, and he walked with a lonely ripple as he whispered, perhaps outside a stranger's door, he advanced as he retreated and knocked upon the silence of every heart. He beat in the silence, although he cried, cried like an old town crier where no town was. There were always these double movements, he knowing not who passed over him with his shadow like a great huntsman passing at the far zenith of the glassy sky, with his dogs leashed by sidereal fires and his stars like flying tassels of gold, gold lights upon the sea, the sand, the sea burning to fire, the sleeping marshland, doors opening, closing, when the great huntsman passed, passed over him, water dripping when the great water carrier passed, and sometimes he heard the dogs barking like the tide nipping at his heels. Sometimes the quail which had slumbered in long grasses arose before him like a tide or like a tide subsided, even like his heart into the silence. If he took eight steps forward, then he must retrace his steps by six in order to see where he had been, even, al even although that place had moved and whispered in its passing upon the shore of broken hourglasses where was no hour or faceless mirrors which had drifted out of silent rooms, rooms without walls, and many an old boat which had been moored upon a river bed from which the waters had departed would be wafted as by a stream of light or by a word. Many would depart. This life was extended perhaps only one mournful moment longer than he lived, many pebbles rolling in the dried-up stream, shining with light, and he might hear the tremblings of a single lute string in a cloud, and this ghostly afterthought like a presentiment of future life, where there was none clouded every mirror and darkened every light. And yet some might live in the night who had not lived in the light he sometimes dreamed, or there might be those gleaming cells which knew not death or life or these definitions, knew not whether they lived or were dead, for perhaps no messages had ever arrived. And they were like the scarlet pimpernels folding at the first approach of rain, or like sea urchins who knew not whether they lived or were dead or were sleeping. Or if they knew, we knew not that they knew, and they knew not that, that we knew not that they knew not. Perhaps all human beings were also mystified, even as Mr. Spitzer was. It seemed he heard the barking dogs and clouds or tremblings of jangled lute strings long after he was dead, when the light shone no more in the eyes of birds or men. Perhaps the light shone in the eyes of women when there was no man. Ah, he remembered that tall, stagey, staggy woman walking with a long slope and many sparks and many orbs shining through clouds and many janglings as the treetop antlers played upon by the wind as the starlight streamed like a river over her head. And he remembered how she had struggled in the flood, 
She had drowned in her bed, for those who drowned not in the sea are drowned on the shore. From an old suffragette captain tossing on her bed, he had learned much from her whose name was hyphenated. Perhaps at that very time she had lost her love. From her for whom the hyphen was more important than the two names it joined. Joined as man and wife, starlight and star, for the hyphen was all. From her who long ago had paused in a broken melody and would not take up her music in this life. Perhaps she would take up her music in this death. She had died before he knew, before he had come with his arrangements by which to see the chaos, before he had placed her with her head pointed north and her feet pointing south, that she might sleep according to the turning of the earth on its imaginary axis, or the flights of birds, birds going north or south, with rustlings as the window curtains blew in a still room and the snow fell. So solitary her life had been. How could death be different or provide any great change for her? Her mind had died before her heart had died. Her heart had followed after her mind, little doubt. She should have passed over the borderline without paying a toll, as one who had passed many times before, as one who had gone and had not returned, as one who had already paid that small coin which was the sun shining through a cloud. For surely life had been this darkness for her, so he had written this nocturne. Perhaps the sympathies always would be with those who had mis missed their loves, with those who had missed their loves on lightless street corners or clouded mountain peaks with ladies who had lost their skirts. Surely not those who had not lost their skirts, or some might say, as that great lady might have coarsely cried in self-contradiction when he was struggling with a sheet or when she was struggling with a sheet or riding her bed as if it were a boat with white chargers, before she was capsized, before she drifted sheetless, anchorless, and the symphony sympathies were with musicians who had lost their harps. Bridge menders who had lost their bridges and tonnages of tiny bells in the gathering fog. Cargoes of sunken spires, spires under the water, great warriors who had won every battle but the last, which must be fought in bed even like the first which they had also lost. Great lawyers who had lost their clients, for whom they had drawn up testaments and wills leaving their properties, which were never theirs to leave, perhaps to unknown husbands, wives, sons, daughters, love such as he had sometimes turned up in his lonely walks like seashells left by the tide, or mushrooms growing under rotted logs, or mushrooms staring the shadows, or white Narcissus flowers gleaming upon the grass where God had dropped his handkerchief. Mr. Spitzer, having come upon some remarkable instances of the non-existent leaving their non-existent properties to the non-existent whom he had traced for years through clouds before he had found out that they were not real, or lived only in dreams like the breathings of dying stars, and seldom being his fate to deal with that which was real in life. And he could remember no such instance which would have startled him as if it were unreal, unreal by contrast with the environment, and therefore alone. Perhaps he had not chosen these dying people. Yet perhaps he was drawn by such extended cases, although he had not chosen them, was magnetized by such dreamers seemingly choosing him to be their executor of last effects, and vanished castles with their lights shining suddenly through clouds and mountain peaks hooded by clouds, and snows and bridges over viewless abysses and lunar lakes, places never visited by man, places forever clouded like masks, masking masks. And his sympathies were freely given to all who had suffered some great disaster those great maritime insurance brokers whose ships had all gone down in a single whirlwind spiraling from pole to pole for a hundred years. Fire insurance agents whose houses all had burned by the sea burning like the dead eye. Great doctors who had lost their patients. Gamblers who had lost their dice. Racers who had lost their horses. Handicappers who could not tell the outcome of a race in prospect or in retrospect. Musicians, musicians whose works would never be played, although music which passed into oblivion as when the snow fell on the roof or the rain-flooded old porches was more beautiful than any which should be heard. 
In Palestrina should not be more beautiful than the spotted tree frog, shriveled and small, sleeping in a tree hollow. For he would awaken, but Palestrina awakened not.